Merry Christmas. Titus chapter 2 and 3 is going to be the focus of our meditation tonight. It is all printed in your bulletin. You can look it up in the ESV in your pew Bible. I will be working from the New King James Version. And the goal is to just simply go line by line through the text tonight and remind us of the simple hope that we have because of the story that we just heard about the baby born in Bethlehem, Jesus of Nazareth, the king, the great king, the only king, the final king, the one who came born as a child hidden from the world in order to die, in order to be put to death by the world so that he could prove that God is greater than death, God is greater than evil, God is greater than sin, God is greater than hate. He's so great that he can take it all from us in his own person, let us spit and spite and hate everything about him until he's dead, 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 and then he'll just keep going. And of course, he is risen. Hallelujah. So Titus, in the letter Paul writes to Titus, is just going to put this in the most, I think, childlike terms, just straightforward terms. So again, starting at verse 11 of chapter 2, or it says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Right? It's very straightforward. There's no complexity here. God's love that wants to save everybody happened. <laughs> it's done. It happened. Teaching us, verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. He's going to go on from there, but now... This is the thing. Salvation is done. Salvation is complete. There is no question. It is finished. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And this teaches us to be different than the rest of the world. It teaches us that we are set apart, right? as more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then as more than conquerors, that means that things like ungodliness, we more than conquer it. Things like a loss of self-control in your own personal life. It is the grace of God in Jesus Christ to promise you that you may more than conquer it. And the world wants to conquer it, right? That's what self-help is all about, is conquering all your problems. And I'm not promising you that all your problems are going to go away because you start praying to Jesus. I am going to say that all of your problems will be nothing compared to who Jesus is. And that Jesus will reveal that to you through his word, through the mystery of the life in his church, the promise of his Holy Spirit who is guaranteed to always hold you, to work within you until all of this comes to pass. And so to enter into your pursuit of godliness, of self-control, and of the other things he talks about, righteous life. This is not to be something to be done in fear or in the belief that maybe this will happen or God needs me to and if I don't prove it or else, all of that must be left behind. This isn't about what comes out of you as a proof. This is about what's going into you as a proof. And the proof that God himself is going into you is a promise. And that promise is he's not going to leave you in the sinful condition you were born in. He plans to raise you from the dead with all glory and honor. And in the meantime, to fill you with faith and trust that supersedes reason and logic and understanding. 
so that you can begin to just see things like ungodliness. And instead of thinking, wow, I'd like some, you start to think, ew, that's gross. Right? And the uglier it gets, the more obvious that becomes. And the more people think righteousness ain't so bad anymore. Not so stuffy anymore. But for our part there, without going down those narrows, let's just stick with, we're here tonight to celebrate Christmas because God has taught us, taught us that it's better to be near God than far away from God. It is better to let the good things of the earth be given to us than to lust after them and to seek them. It is better to live with your head on straight than confused and deceived and drunk with every wind and story and tale of whatever. It is better to be righteous, that means to be accurate or to be upright, uh, than it is to be broken and fallen and collapsing. And to see then that this present age he references isn't 1999 or 2023 or the modern world. It's like, like the whole time since Jesus ascended. Okay? The present age is going to be ungodly. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be your best life now. It's not going to be what everybody thinks the world should be. We're trained to be set apart from everybody else. To look at what the world has is not as important. Because what? Verse 13, we're looking for the blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus, right? So he's talking about the next one. Not when he came, but that he's coming again. And we're trained by our hope in that next life to not be so off-put by the things that go wrong in this life. It's not that things going wrong in this life aren't going to bother you. They're going to bother you fine. You're going to find trouble. You're going to find sorrow. But unlike everyone else, you're going to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And you will find he's a savior not only from sin, death, and the devil, but yesterday, today, tomorrow, the same Jesus Christ is your salvation. The blessed hope of what he comes to bring on the final day. We already have a deposit of it now. And again, somewhere between that now and not yet is tonight. Us here living in this hope alive now. The blue of Advent, the fourth Sunday, the Magnificat, all of the expectation. Now, do you have a crush at home? Does the baby show up in the crush? All of that hope is ours now, not because of the statues, but because of the actual glorious appearing which did happen and the one that's going to happen that we cannot be separated from, even by the devil himself. Jesus Christ, verse 14, who gave himself for us. This is the cross, right? that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. It's not about what you're going to do now to be who you can be. It's about how he already knows whatever you're going to be. It's just never going to be enough. I mean, you know that, right? Like, like strip it all away, set aside all the like sin talk for a moment and just think about like your hopes, your dreams, your plans. I mean, it's been a busy week, right? You're never going to be enough. And Jesus like knew that way before you figured it out. And the hope that you have is that you've been redeemed from not only just that, the weakness of that, right? That I'm never going to feel feel enough. That's a feeling and it's horrible and we have it and it sucks. But that ain't sin the way that like your lust and your greed are sin, right? And he saved you from those too. Not just the ones you've had, but any that come in the future. All temptations, all trials. 
Now, being your savior doesn't mean sometimes, maybe, if. Like I'm your partner in salvation, I'll give you a chance, right? That's not what it means. The savior, saving one, master, right? He gave himself, he died for you, that he might redeem you from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And I, 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 I don't know. I think the word good works just makes it sound bad. You ever get that feeling like good works just sound bad? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, but if you could take the works part off the back end of that, the idea here is that God wants people who want good. And the world is filled with people who are born wanting evil. And even if you like put the best boundaries on them possible, they try to get around those boundaries and do evil. But God doesn't want that. He wants a world filled with good. And so he sets the boundaries in place. We call that the law. The boundaries are in place so the evil can't go out of control. But the, the boundaries don't actually change our hearts. They don't make us different people. There needs to be something different. And so the boundaries of setting evil in a box are in place on this earth so we can enter into it and redeem it by something far greater than laws and rules and regulations, but by a message, a narrative, a news, a word, a promise, all these things, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And because of that good that God wants, that you would hear and be inspired by the idea, just the idea of eternal life is eternal life. And the proof that goodness is greater than evil, that light is greater than darkness, that the darkness tries to overshadow us, it cannot overcome. And no matter what other stories have been thrown out there in history to try to make claim to who's behind all of this, none of them hang together with the passion, the power, the length, the adversity, the overcoming, the languages, the age and history of Jesus of Nazareth. And his epic, epic prophetic birth, which from ages beyond was coming and coming so that again and again it's recorded before it comes. And then now, having been born that king, given gold and incense and frankincense and all the shepherds and the angels and all of this, all of this just so he could choose you to want light instead of darkness now, to want good instead of evil tomorrow, and again to believe that he's got enough power in it that you don't have to worry about it. You can just wake up tomorrow. Pray in Jesus' name and know it's all going to work out. That's the gospel. Jumping over to verse 3. In the bulletin, it goes straight there. In your Bible, you'll have to jump to verse 3 of chapter, chapter 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish. I like this, right? Like, like we're born fools. <laughs> all humans, born fools. And, and all non-Christians, sorry guys, you're fools. <laughs> yeah, you're all fools. Christians, we're fools too. The, the big difference is we're repentant fools. We're like, I'm a fool, and I know I'm a fool, but the word of God is wise, and so I'll learn the word of God, and I'll speak the word of God, and then you can say I'm wise, it's the word of God that makes me wise. So Christians have this renunciation of foolishness, right? We were once foolish, but now having been like removed from folly, the beauty of the word of God is you can see, you can divide you can tell the difference between good and evil. It's not so hard. Who are you to judge, they say. I'm someone who read the Bible as who. And it's not that complicated. Murder is bad. Adultery is bad. Lies are bad. Like why, why is this so tough? It's not for you, right? But it is for some of your friends and neighbors now. 
It is for a world of barbarians who haven't been trained to love anybody. So again, we're not like them. And look how it lists disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. You know, I, I still spend too much time on the internet flipping, scrolling through things and all the millions of videos that you see. I think my favorite one was some people fighting over stuff in a shopping cart in a parking lot. And the fight was back and forth and whatever boxes they were getting out of the shopping cart. But the best part is the, the, the minivan that the guy who probably owns the shopping cart in the box, and I don't know, is trying to back out. The door is open on the back and is trying to back out. And the guy with the box takes the box, he throws in the minivan. And as the minivan is backing out, he dies. Like Superman in the back of the minivan, right? And and this is Christmas time for somebody, right? This is Christmas time in somebody's world. We've been trained to renounce that. That doesn't mean that that guy, I hate that guy. I actually feel bad for that guy. I'd love to talk to that guy. I'd love to tell that guy about life in Christ. The idea is not that we would look down on others, but we would realize as people choose lives that harm themselves, We don't have to. We don't have to follow them. We don't have to be like them. We don't have to listen to them. Instead, we can be like God, verse 4, who's kind and loving. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, right? That's what we want to be. It's like that. When the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, He saved us. So even though we're zealous for good, he emphasizes we're not going to save ourselves. He did it already. And again, why? Because of his loving kindness. I'll admit, I think personally, this is the hardest thing for me on any daily basis to believe. I, I don't say this in some sort of like I deny it in the catechism sort of way, right? So I've been trained. I've been taught. I'll answer the test right. I know what I want to believe. <laughs> yeah, I know what the Bible says. And then I know what happens like, I don't know, at 930 every other third or fourth morning when I have something bad go wrong in my life. And I just wonder who God is or if God is and why and all these kinds of things. Yeah. And at that moment, the doubt, the fear that's in my heart, what, it, what it's doubting most is that God is loving kindness. I'll tell you, it's the worst story. It's the best story ever. You know, my, my family got me a hamster a couple weeks ago. My kids have these little tiny dwarf, dwarf hamsters, like this big little mice. They're amazing little things. They crawl on you and everything. Pet them. They sleep on you. They're amazing. So they got me one. I love that little stupid thing. I call it ketone. I was training it and whistle when I feed it and stuff. It's the silliest thing. And uh, I, I spent a little extra money on her, on her cage, too. My kids got, like, you know, the Amazon version, right? I got, like, this nice thing with a cool ball all this stuff. But it didn't quite fit in the box we had, so it was a little taller than it should have been. And wouldn't you know, I caught her a couple days ago, you know, chewing at the holes on the top. And I put some tape on it moved some stuff around. And, well, two days ago, there was a bigger hole. She was out. And then this morning, finally, my kids found her in the sub pump hole. Yeah, she's dead. Right, my little hamster. The loving kindness of God, my father, killed my hamster the day before Christmas. And I want to believe that with all my heart. 
he knows better. He's got a plan. I actually think I could, if you give me 15 more minutes, I could tell you how in my life, actually, this grief is probably pretty good for me right now. I could give you a whole story of why it was grief six months ago that was much worse. And also, you know, we don't need that tonight. Yeah. The point tonight is that the Father in heaven is loving and kind, even in those moments when you're like, what on earth? And you know that because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's the only way you know that. There's going to be times in life where you have family or a sunset or something. You're going to feel God's love. You're going to know it. But then there's going to be times when you don't, when the darkness is heavy and strong. And in those moments, it is the name of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and the promise of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus that will sustain you in believing that the Father is loving and kind. And that's all he ever is. One of the most powerful thoughts I had as a result of Ketone's death was not only that Jesus killed her, but that Jesus loved her while he did it. Because every mouse on the whole planet is going to die. And Jesus is going to be there and know exactly what's going on. And he's not mad at any of them. In fact, he saved the whole creation. Right? They just got to go through what we've got to go through. Now, if that helped tonight, great. If it didn't, you're like, what's Pastor Fist talking about a hamster for on Christmas Eve? That's fine. But the loving kindness of the Father is what I want you to go home remembering tonight. Yeah. A few more verses and we're done. Yeah. Not by works of righteousness, but because of his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. When he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lutherans are commonly going to reference this verse as dealing with baptism, that the washing or the water bath of regeneration, it'd be hard to imagine washing things without water. Most people don't think of washing without water. And so unless you live in a time where we've divided baptism and washing people with the Holy Spirit, everybody would have assumed this was about baptism. But see, we live in the modern time where the Baptists don't believe water can do such things, right? And so most people don't see baptism here. But I would also suggest that Lutherans can miss something that's here if we only see baptism here. Because it's not just as if baptism is some water one day in your life a long time ago. Baptism is a washing of regeneration. It is a promise that Christ has washed you body, soul, mind, and heart. It is a promise that you're alive now. Regeneration means like to grow back, right? Wouldn't it be cool if you chop off your finger and it would regenerate? You know how that would work, right? It, there it went, right back, Pinocchio's nose style, right? Yeah. The washing of regeneration is the regeneration of your soul. Your soul is growing back in the name of Jesus the way it's supposed to be poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7, that having been justified by his grace... Good Lutheran talk. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So again, the inheritance, the promise, the fact that it's coming, the fact that justification is done to you, it's all the same, right? There's no new gospel tonight. There's no great moment you haven't heard before. It's all one more time coming back to see that the loving kindness of God is so big. Is so powerful and so ready to die for you that he'll end up in the arms of a woman as an infant, cooing and coddling and crying, helpless as the day is long. You're God. In the name of Jesus. <laughs>